On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 8th episode of the Girls Play Footy podcast for 2017, we catch up with co-host of the NAB lead-up, Tegan Higginbotham. We chat to president of the AFL Fans Association, Jerry Eamon. We discuss the Arctic Cup with Molly Holberstad of the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles. We talk about the Woosher effect with the coach of the Boston Lady Demons, Lisa Arandondo. And we preview the AFL Women's Grand Final with GirlsPlayFooty.com radio caller, Matthew Cox. All of that coming up on the Girls Play Footy podcast. I'm Peter Holton and welcome to the eighth episode of the Girls Play Footy podcast and a reminder that this podcast is always available for free via iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy or listen to the radio version of this podcast by tuning in to RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, Wednesday evenings from about quarter past six. So the first of our interviews, we're at the end of the AFL Women's Home and Away season. We're almost at Grand Final Day, Saturday, March 25th. And the pre-game show leading into the big broadcast on Channel 7 is the NAB lead-up. And we've got one of their co-hosts. She's also a comedian, actor, writer, and a tragic Carlton supporter. It's great to have on the line Tegan Higginbotham. Tegan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's great to have you here, and it's great to be at this time of the year. Not that the season's over, but we're at the big dance, the AFLW Grand Final. We are, but it's, it's felt quite bittersweet that the season's just ended as quickly as it has. It's come in, it's changed our lives. We're thinking about footy differently, and now it's like, all done now. It's, quite a, it's been an emotional roller coaster. I'm going to be completely honest. Is there maybe a little tiny, eeny, bitsy bit of bitter because you're a Carlton supporter and you did fall short? <laughs> I think, and the problem is we fell just short. And those games that we, you know, we kind of let drop a little bit, I feel like they were, you know, errors. I feel like we, we could have won those games. And I feel like if the season had gone a little bit longer as well, Carlton was really in there. I mean, to, to push Brisbane to that draw in that last game, especially when we just, it could have been argued that in that final quarter, we didn't have anything to play for anymore. Like, we were very down on the scoreboards. We're not going to be in the finals, and everybody knew it. To come back like that, like, that shows a team with an awful lot of fight. And so, yeah, I guess I'm just sad that it's such a short season because I think, you know, maybe with a final series, we could have been in there. And I have a quirky stat. I have a theory about why Carlton uh, lost three of their games. They're the only three matches for premiership points they wore the baby blue jumper. I know. I picked this as well. That goddamn baby blue jumper. I, yeah. And then um, my, my boyfriend, Paul, was like, oh, you know, which, which Guernsey do you want to get? Do you want to get the, the navy blue or the light blue? And I was like, oh, it is the navy blue because that other one is clearly doing something very, very bad. Um, yes, I completely agree with you on that statistic. Just suggest that the property steward throws those in the incinerator over the off season. First of all, we do have to. Uh, first of all, we do have to ask you as well. Um, what was your background before leading into the NAB uh, lead up, which of course you were co-hosting with Andy Marr and Sam Lane? How much did you know about women's footy before AFLW? Uh, a criminal lack of knowledge about women's football. I knew it was there. Um, I had a couple of friends who were playing, and you know, was was kind of peripherally aware of this thing but I think that I was kind of catching on and realizing just how much of an important movement this was just as the general public was you know exhibition matches learning learning about all these wonderful players as it was becoming more yeah more public more prominent um but just you know not as aware of like as I clearly should have been given just the the breadth of talent that was there and for you personally, as, as we wrap up this season, does that encourage you more to learn about state league or community football? Well, it absolutely does, because now I'm, I'm attached to these players. So the idea now that they just go, I need to know where they go. I need to know what they're doing. If I'm a, you know, as a Carlton supporter, I need to know where my girls are playing now and, and, and you know, keep an eye on their seasons and all that sort of stuff. It has completely changed, I think, for a lot of people how we now perceive football and how our seasons are going to be structured, you know. It's, it's changed the way I look at the men's league because I'm just, and I'm, I'm sure that I will get into the season and it will be fantastic and it will become exciting. But it, sitting in this very moment, it is still, for me, primarily about the women and it feels strange. I mean, when JLT started, it was just like, oh, could you just 
go in the corner for a while because we were all doing the women's thing. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been quite remarkable how much it's changed in my mind in such a short space of time. And of course, because you've been following AFLW so closely, you were one of the four judges for the Lisa Cato Media MVP who put in their uh, one, two, three, four, fives for each round, mm. along with Katie Lambeski, Tiffany Cherry and Emma Race. Uh, I just want to throw out a few players who unfortunately fell short. They didn't take out the award, but some of your thoughts. One player, of course, um, for the Melbourne Football Club, uh, second most disposals for the year, Karen Paxman. Ah, Paxman. She was mighty, wasn't she? She was an absolutely mighty force. And there was, you know, there was so much talk about Paxman in the lead-up to the league kicking off, and it was nice to see that she actually, you know, she lived up to those very, very lofty standards. So, yeah, she was an incredible player. Also as well, Sabrina Frederick-Chorb, a giant at the Lions. Wasn't she? And it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see how she plays now next week, or sorry, this week, isn't it, in the finals? Um... You know, because in that Carlton match, it's not to say that she didn't have an impact. She still did. But it was, you know, you could tell that she was struggling a little bit there. That that team felt really tired towards the end. So I'm so curious to see if uh, Sabrina gets up in the grand final. From the Adelaide Crows, Ebony Marinoff. Now, she's only 19 years old, but had a staggering 70 tackles this season. Also refers to herself as being a deli technician, which I think is remarkable and has taught me that I should have been looking at all of my previous jobs completely differently. I didn't work at an ice cream shop. I was an ice cream technician. I was a retail scientist. She has just taught me to look at things completely differently as well as being an excellent footballer. So well done, her. And I think that borrows from Paul Hester of Crowded House who said he was a trolleyologist. <laughs> excellent. This is what we need people to do. You know, talk it up. Be very, very proud of your job. Uh, of course, we need to look at your Carlton Blues and the clear standout star, Brianna Davey. Oh, I know. And you know, the, the problem is, is she, she missed that one game. And I just wonder, you can't help but wonder with Brie Davey, you know, would she have taken this out if she hadn't dropped that one game? Because she was, man, so impressive from the very get-go. Brianna Davey was just such a standout. This may seem like a shock to people, but this is one of the women who did not win the award Daisy Pierce, captain of Melbourne. You know what I love is that Daisy Pierce had, up there with Mo, she had this league on her shoulders. And she's been carrying the league for quite a while now. And the fact that she has dealt with all of this pressure and still done as well as she has, like that woman is just clearly incredible, a very, very strong person. And I just think it was so joyful even when she was kicking other teams bus or teams you might have been you know barracking for it was just such a joyful experience watching Daisy Pierce play football it was really great well Tegan I'll leave it to you who is the Lisa Cato media MVP so proud to say this and so impressed by this woman it's Erin Phillips the Crows co-captain. Like sound effect there. We needed like a, a huge. <laughs> can you do this in post? It just felt wrong not to have like fireworks explode. Because oh my god, God, talk about it. She's incredible. It's it's unbelievable, isn't it? She hadn't played football since her junior days. We're talking like a gap of 15, 16 years. And then just to be easily step into the role, not only co-captain, but to dominate the competition, it just left head spinning. Yeah, she was, you know, she's just such, a, she's a professional athlete. The woman is an athlete. Um, I believe that, I can't remember whether it was her or somebody talking about her, saying that it's about her, her ability to make those split-second decisions as well, to know what another player is about to do before they even do it themselves. And you can see that. She's just constantly a step ahead of everybody else, and she's tough. Like, in that first game, she was beaten up thoroughly and was still a champion. Like, just, yeah, so impressive. Dare I say it, could it be the female version of Don Bradman? And I raise this point because Don Bradman, not only as we know, was a great test cricketer, 99.94, but there's the famous story that he took on um, Eddie Charlton at uh, Snooker, the world champion, and beat him quite comfortably. Erin Perkins is just one of those freaks of nature, isn't she, that she can excel at one sport, immediately jump into another, and kick everyone's butt at that. Yeah, you see, I mean, I, I, I can see the comparison there, but I think that if you put Phillips up against uh, Don Bradman, I think she'd kick his butt too. Like, she's just, there's just a fierceness about that woman. And I think you could probably, you know, throw any sport at her. And she, yeah, she would find a way to excel, definitely. 
And as well, I mean, having to face the critics at the same time, I mean, uh, there was a lot of us, I'll put my hand up, I was one of them that saw her recruited thinking, what on earth are you doing recruiting someone with no senior women's football experience? And be able to hit that front on, water off a duck's back, and to be uh, able to uh, to come out that the champion she is and lead a side into a grand final. You see, I, on the other hand, I've got a mate who um, is an Adelaide Crows supporter, but what's more is a very big basketball fan and just knows a lot more about women's basketball than I do. And he um, he's a fellow comedian, Justin Hamilton, and he was so excited about Aaron Phillips being drafted by the Crows. So from the very beginning, I've kind of just been quite excited to see this woman because he talked her up so much. But I absolutely agree there was there was that pressure on her, yeah. Well, before we let you go, we need the all-important tip for the grand final this Saturday at Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. The Adelaide Crows and the Brisbane Lions. Who takes home the cup for the first time? You know, I think it could be the Crows, actually. Watching Carlton draw with the Brisbane Lions, and as I said, I think they felt, they they looked like they were tired. Um, And just knowing that the Crows do have somebody like Aaron Phillips uh, who could almost single-handedly drag that team over the line. I, I just have a feeling it could be the Crows in a huge upset. <laughs> well, Tegan, thank you very much for joining us here on uh, girlsplayfooty.com and uh, we wish you all the very best for the Comedy Festival coming up. Just a quick plug, when are those shows on? Where can people get tickets? They start next week. Oh, my God. They start on March the 30th uh, at the Malthouse, and I think you can just go to the Malthouse website and grab tickets or head to the Comedy Festival website. Uh, my show is called Go to Hell, and I'm really proud of it. I'd love people to come see it. I think it's going to be a good, fun show. Tegan, once again, thank you very much for your time, and we hope you have a great broadcast this Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on the NAB lead-up on Channel 7, leading into that all-important AFL Women's Grand Final. Well, that's the media point of view. Let's get the fans' point of view on how this season has gone. And I have got the president of the official AFL Fans Association, Jerry Eamon, on the line. Jerry, thanks for joining us here on the Girls Play Footy podcast. First of all, we need to ask, how did the uh, Fans Association all come about? Um, The Fans Association started in 2013. It was, I guess, started by a, a group of, of pretty passionate fans that felt there needed to be a central voice for fans. Um, so in its inception, that was the idea, to give fans a, a united voice. And similar bodies exist in the UK uh, in the, for the soccer fans over there. And they've been very successful at lobbying the Premier League um, to undertake fan-friendly changes. So that, that's the nucleus behind, behind the organisation. And, of course, when that was developed in 2013, there was essentially only male football at the national stage. So what has it meant for the Fans Association that now we have the women's game here, AFLW? Uh, look, it's fantastic. It's, it's, uh, there is such enthusiasm for it. it. It's been such a great thing. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, whilst not all fans are converted, I, I would say a really substantial portion are absolutely con- converted and only want to see it go from strength to strength. I guess that's the tough part, isn't it, for the Fans Association? It's just trying to get those minds now over to women's football because, regretfully, there, there will be the dinosaurs that won't budge, but I guess it's an education process. It is an education process, and, you know, you don't need to convert everyone for it to be wildly successful. But there's already... I mean, AFL has such a, uh, a huge supporter base that, I mean, even if you convert a, a good part of them, the AFLW is already going to be wildly successful. Indeed, and we saw that already with uh, 24,000 fans at Icon Park. What did you think of that first game? A a strange scenario that, well, I guess we weren't all expecting a lockout on game one. Yeah, look, I I think that really surprised everyone. And, you know, I I think it it shows a future of of what it can get to and and where it can go. Um, I mean, undoubtedly, there is a a certain attraction to the novelty of the very first game. But I I think it it really shows that there's a genuine grassroots interest to how the league develops. Having a look at this year, it was full of experiment. A lot of things were thrown at us. Most of the games were free. A handful uh, people had to pay for because there were double headers with the JLT uh, Community Series games. Uh, we've seen everything from nighttime primetime games to games played at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, which I don't think is ideal. For, for the Fans Association, what's the general feedback been in this, uh, in this opening season with all these different times and dates and concepts being trialled? 
I don't think that the AFL really appreciated how success, successful the league was going to be when they scheduled uh, some of these games. So I think when they scheduled some of these games, for example, at 3pm on a Friday, or then coupled them as essentially um, warm-up games to the JLT men's games, I don't think that they appreciated how people really saw this as a product to stand on its own right. I, 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 I would be very surprised if the AFL makes those same uh, same calls for next season. I'd, I'd be very surprised if you saw any 3pm game on a Friday and, and I, I, I would expect all the AFLW games next season to, to be standalone games. Here's hoping so because we do have this peculiar situation, don't we, where technically an AFLW game is being played for premiership points for a cup and we get in for free. And yet on the other side, we have the men's where it's a practice game. Yeah, that seems to have greater coverage, but you have to pay to get into a practice game. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a funny one. I, I don't mind it being free at this stage. I, I, I think that's great because you, you, you want to convert and introduce people to the game. Um, but I certainly think that the game should be standalone. They're their own product. You know, they, they, I, I, they shouldn't be warm-up games. They're their own product and they're a very good product. And it's proven so with the fans coming through the gate. I guess the important question is, as we go on to next year, is the AFL have said they want to make next year free. There's already been some in the press suggesting that maybe it should be paid. Maybe there should be, I guess, an element of respect by putting a price on entry, whether that's $5, $10, whatever that might be. What's the general feeling from the Fans Association? Oh, look, I, I think generally fans do see the benefit in keeping it free um, for for uh, for the time being, I mean, uh, there will be a time when that's no longer the case. But maybe an, another season of it being free is a good thing to grow the game and ensure that it becomes as popular as it, as it can be. I guess one thing that probably looked at as well as uh, when we look for 2018 is improved and uh, timing when it comes to announcements. I think it's fair enough to say that this week's been a bit of a frustrating week from the fans' point of view with the Gabba Metricon situation. That not only that it's obviously happened, but how late it's happened. Yeah, and 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 you know, I I think it well and truly Brisbane fans have have the right to be angry. It it really has been a bit of a stuff up. Um, and, and it's a real shame because it's been such a great season um, and it, it's a real shame not to have that final at the Gabba. I'm sure it would have drawn a good crowd and, you know, that's, Brisbane fans are from Brisbane. They, you don't want to go to someone else's uh, home ground to see your, play, your team play in the grand final. Now, one thing we should mention, of course, is the Fans Association website. It's aflfans.org.au. And obviously, you've had over the years uh, a number of people join, uh, sign up and join your site, which is uh, free to do. Have you f- seen any uh, fans on the women's side start to come in? And I'm not just saying female supporters. I'm saying those that truly support women's football. Uh, because, uh, as being mentioned, people are noticing a completely different crowd attending these women's games than you would a traditional men's match. You're right. It, it does have a different demographic, and it's maybe broadened the traditional footy demographic. Mm. Um, we certainly have a lot of members. Uh, look, I think gender-wise, we're, we're pretty well split down the middle. Um, but it, it, it is bringing a, a new, a new fan, if you like, to football that always saw it as a, a, a blokes-dominated thing, and because of that, they were a bit turned off. And now with the AFLW, it's it's. You know, making them think. Well, you know, footy is not just a bloke's domain, and and I, I'm interested in it. And and what is also apparent is the amount of young girls that are now interested in playing footy in 2017. That's exploded. And I should ask the question to you as well, because you've grown up as a, a passionate Sydney Swans supporter. How have you felt for this AFLW season where you're one of uh, supporters of 10 clubs who obviously don't have a licence and aren't involved in this competition? Where do the loyalties lie? Yeah, look, that's a good question. I, I find myself, you know, always going for the underdog because I have a, no, no team to go for. So I, I basically always back the underdog, which I think is my... Um, default position when I watch AFL men's um, when the Swans aren't playing. Um, but I, I was really disappointed to see the Swans didn't apply. I knew that all the teams wouldn't get the nod. Um, but I was, yeah, it was a real shame that they didn't even put an application in. I, I hope that's something that when the further licences uh, get 
put up that they, that they will consider doing. Well, Jerry, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. And just before we go, again, a quick plug, aflfans.org.au. And can they also find you on social media? They can. They can. We've got a pretty active uh, social media. We've got Facebook and Twitter, and it's a great way to find out just general footy news. And all the committee of the, the fans association read everyone's comments, so the more comments you put, the better. Jerry Eamon, the president of the AFL Fans Association. Look out for them on Facebook, AFL Fans Association. We'll find them on Twitter, Fans AFL. It's time to head overseas. You may recall from an episode a couple of weeks ago, we talked to a representative from the South East London Giants about playing in the Arctic Cup. Well, we're going to talk to their opponents now. They are playing in Iceland against the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles. And I've got the head of their women's team on the line, being Molly Holberstadt. Molly, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. First of all, tell us, how did you get involved in Aussie Rules football? Sure. Well, um, I moved to Washington, D.C. right after I graduated school, and um, I did play rugby in college, so I was kind of looking for something similar. Um, didn't love the rugby community in D.C., and I came across this list that was like 10 really obscure sports in the D.C. area. So, of course, I clicked on it. I was actually looking for a badminton team or something, um, but instead <laughs> I found funny. Uh, do you know much about Aussie Rules football before that list? I didn't know anything. Um, I had been to Australia before, but mostly um, just the West Coast. So I, I had been to Fremantle and Perth, but um, I, I think that's more a rugby state than a footy state, although I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I had never really heard of it before. So I started watching on YouTube, um, it looked insane, and uh, then I came out to practice. Yeah, definitely an Aussie rules state out west. I think there's a lot of shock listeners at the moment. No, no, we're not rugby. <laughs> and let's let's. Uh... <laughs> now, what is the mix like of uh, American and Aussie footballers there at the club? Considering you're based in DC, and obviously there's a lot of uh, people in public service, and obviously Aussies, Aussies that might be working in the embassy, etc. Out that way. Yeah, actually, we are a completely American team right now. Last year, we did have one Australian girl playing with us. Um, She was from Melbourne, and she went back to Australia, unfortunately, but she came to nationals and everything. Um, I have been sort of trying to recruit people at the embassy. I went to an embassy event and uh, (laughs) tried to talk up as many women as I could, but we'll see if any of them show up to practice. Let's hope so, uh, to boost the numbers there. And uh, when you said about going to the embassy, what are the things that you've been trying to do to recruit people to take up Aussie Rules football and join your side? Oh, I literally just chat up strange women all the time. Um, I I actually saw someone at the gym who was, she was running pretty fast. She looked pretty fit. She was doing some of the exercises that we actually do already in training. So I just went up to her and I was like, hey, you look fit. Do you want to play a sport? Um, I, I think she thought I was coming on to her, but essentially <laughs> I, I explained the sport and she seemed mildly interested. And as this happens a lot, um, I, I brought, I have a college friend who I played rugby with who just moved to D.C., so I brought her out to play study. Um, she seems to like it. But I, I'm also trying to encourage the men's team to bring out their significant others or really any women that they know to play because I think word of mouth is the best way. But we have had a few people who just found our website and contacted us that way. Now, I believe uh, uh, your side is going to be playing in next week's Arctic Cup in Iceland. So the question has to be, how did Baltimore-Washington Eagles uh, uh, become involved in this tournament? Okay, so uh, one, of, one of the guys, his name is Ryan, and he had been setting it up with the Iceland team. I'm not even sure how he found them, but I think Iceland had wanted to do a tournament for a while. And Iceland doesn't have a women's team, so originally we were going to be excluded from the tournament. And I was not happy about that because I wanted to go to Iceland. So I I reached out to pretty much any women's team I I could find. um, And it turned out that one of the the London teams has a women's side, and they wanted to come too. And that was great. So I tried to get um, all of the Eagles I could to come out and... That was not enough for a full team, so I reached out to some of the other Eastern teams. So we actually have a mixed team coming. Um, there are a couple women from Boston, a few from New York, and one from Montreal, and then um, a couple of Eagles, too. 
And that's fantastic to see that you're playing for the first Arctic Cup. It's a bit different, isn't it? On, on March 25th here in Australia, we've got the AFLW playing for the Premiership Cup. You're playing for also a unique cup, the Arctic Cup in Iceland. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm a little nervous because I've, I've only played in summer season and I, I have really bad circulation and I'm worried I won't be able to catch it if my hands are frozen. But I think we'll all be in the same boat there. So after the Arctic Cup, uh, what's ahead for the Washington? Uh, pardon me. What's ahead for the Baltimore Washington Lady Eagles? Yeah. So part of our um, recruiting strategy with the other East Coast teams is we set up this like Metro League. So we're going to be playing small side um, and casual games before our official season starts. So that first one is going to be on April 22nd. It's in Baltimore. And um, it's to bring out a lot of new women and teach them the game. So we're doing a little clinic beforehand, uh, just teaching skills, especially tackling, because the women have a much higher concussion rate than the men do. Um, and we sort of like to <laughs> mitigate that. And so then we're going to have a, a small game, maybe nine aside, um, maybe tournament style. We're going to play it by year, depending on numbers. But yeah, we're, we're hoping that'll help recruiting if it's, if it's very casual and, and offers a skills clinic beforehand. And then we have um, more official season, full 18 games coming up later in, um, in June July. If I'm right, your first tournament, I think, is coming up in Riley, North Carolina? Yeah, that's our, that's our Eastern Regionals. Um, and after, yeah, that's, that's June. And then we have a game in Columbus in July and another game in Boston in July. And then August is the International Cup, so a lot of people are going to be in Australia for that. So we don't have any games for August. Um, and then we have a couple in September. And then October 21st, we're going to San Diego for Nationals. Well, Molly, before we let you go, if people want to get involved uh, with the Baltimore-Washington Lady Eagles, what can they do? Oh, wow. Anything. Um, okay, so you can find our website. We're just the Baltimore-Washington Eagles Australian Rules Football Club. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Um, and there's a Contact Us button and a Join button on our website. Um, I think we even have a, a very, very brief Wikipedia page. But definitely reach out. Um, we're definitely recruiting the men's side, too, um, if any guys are listening. But, yeah, we would love to have more women and definitely get the word out. So if you've got a friend in the States in the Washington, D.C. or Baltimore area, it's very simple. Tell them to Google Baltimore Washington Eagles. You will find their page. You'll find out all about their women's team and their schedule coming up for 2017. And, of course, training dates if they want to get involved. That's one U.S. team. Let's focus on another one, the Boston Lady Demons. Now, the reason why we have their coach on the line is because one of their former players is taking part in the AFL Women's Grand Final this weekend, Saturday, March 25th. No, she's not an American. She is an Aussie. Jessica Wuchno, of course, who originally came from Tasmania, playing for Clarence. She went over to WA and played for East Fremantle. But for a three-month period in 2015, she went across to the United States as part of the Australian Exchange Player Program and helped uh, did a little bit of coaching, took the through some training sessions and played with the Boston Lady Demons. And we're about to find out what effect Wooshit did have on them throughout her three-month period with them. And that's why I've got on the line the coach of the Boston Lady Demons, Lisa Arundondo. Lisa, thanks for joining us. And like we ask everyone who's not an Aussie, how did you find Aussie Rules football? I discovered it through boxing, actually. <laughs> Uh, a girl that I went to a boxing gym with happened to play, and she came in one day, and she was uh, a little banged up. But I said, what happened to you? Did you get hit by a truck? She goes, oh, no, I play Aussie rules. She goes, you want to come have a kick? I said, no, no, I'm good. And she she kind of harped on me for about two months, and then um, I said, fine, I'll come for a kick. And first kick, first broken finger, and I fell in love, and it's never been, <laughs> I haven't been happier since. That needs to be a new bumper sticker. Come get beaten up. Come play Aussie Rules. <laughs> well, uh, so it's great that you managed to, to take up the sport. Um, the Boston Lady Demons, how long have they been established in the Massachusetts area? Um, they've been established for about seven years now. So it's great they've been long established, obviously growing the base. What are the numbers looking like there at the moment at Boston? Uh, right now, we probably we will range um, on an annual basis. Uh, some years are better than others, but we usually sit around uh, about 12 girls uh, and women that will come out and play. And 
Uh, we've been doing a huge recruitment push. Obviously, uh, Jess or Wisha was uh, a huge component to that, and um, it's been phenomenal. So it's helped get the name out, and we just keep going out to colleges and rugby clubs and uh, Gaelic clubs and try and have, convince everyone to come have a kick. So what's a typical calendar like for the Boston Demons? Uh, what's some of the games from Metro footy to 18 aside? Uh, what are you playing during the year? So we normally play, uh, our calendar year will go uh, about March, depending upon if we have snow on the ground or not. Um, and then it will go to October, where we have our U.S. Nationals um, at the end of the season. And this year we have a really interesting kind of combination where we have enough girls uh, within the East Coast, so the Boston Lady Demons, the Baltimore Eagles, the New York Magpies, um, then the Montreal Angels, and we have the Philadelphia Hawks, where we're going to do a round-robin of Metro Leagues, and then we'll have our own tournaments probably once a month uh, within that as well. It's fantastic to see how that is growing. Now, you mentioned the name uh, Jessica Wujna, as we know, a wusher here in Australia, playing with the Brisbane Lions. Uh, back in 2015, uh, she came over to the US as part of an exchange program. Uh, how did she hook up with the Boston Demons? Uh, she went through a program um, where Drea um, uh, Casillas had, she's the president of the Women's um, Association as well as she's on the board for the USAFL, and they had um, kind of spearheaded an idea of having an exchange program of having um, players from, from Australia that wanted to come over and experience playing here in the U.S. and help grow the game, and it was directed towards clubs that needed um, just a little more direction and needed the recruitment process and maybe even have um, an Australian female come over and kind of explain the culture of the game and, and how it works. So the Boston Lady Demons were very lucky and fortunate to have her come on over, and she was just a firecracker to have over here. She really took the reins for it. She helped the girls um, understand just proper technique and understanding the flow of the game better, as well as fire up them in convincing them on how to um, recruit and how to keep players and um, just made them all more energized for the entire sport. And she brought over not only just her knowledge and her skill, but she brought over more of the passion and the love for the sport, which um, a few of us veterans already have, but getting some of the younger ones to understand just how important it is and what a fantastic sport it is, um, she just brought it with her. We couldn't have been happier to have her here. And exactly, for you as a coach, how did that help you, um, I guess, adjust your training methods going forward? Um, I was really open to any kind of suggestions that she had because um, here in the States, sometimes you have um, Aussie men or you have some Aussie women that float through that will help coach. But a lot of times it's um, self-taught or it's self-taught knowledge that's been handed down. So for me, it was great to have somebody that plays it all the time to come over and say, well, we kind of do it this way, and this is, you know, some of the drills that we run, or you could look at it this way, and um, for me, it was, I used it as a clean slate and a learning experience, um, so I took away from it, I think, far more than she thinks she ever gave to me, but I truly did take away from it a ton of knowledge and uh, passion. And I believe she was able to help you throughout, if I'm correct, the Eastern Regional Tournament plus the USAFL Nationals of 2015. Yes, she was, and she she ended up winning the MVP at the U.S. Nationals for us. She might have had just a little bit more skill than the others, just quietly. <laughs> a little, bit. but you know what? She she was she was a resource for all the women that um, throughout the entire country. She was an open book for them. She made a lot of friends um, and connected via Facebook and even Snapchat, and they stayed in touch. And even during any of the tournaments. Anyone could go up to her and ask her, you know, how do I do this? And she she took it and ran with it, and she just helped. And, and may we say just quietly, she also passed on the good Mad Monday tradition as well. I think I've seen a photo of two of the kangaroo onesie. <laughs> yes, there it is. It was a very lovely onesie that she was wearing, um, and it was it was good fun. <laughs> Oh, that is fantastic to hear. And um, I, I also have to ask, how, how did she help on the off-field side of things, of obviously trying to uh, uh, look at ways of trying to find footballers to join the Boston Lady Demons? Um, it was interesting because we, since she was not able to... Um 
to have a working visa here, uh, we utilized her to kind of go out to um, the local gyms and to go to local colleges and just kind of bring a ball with her and uh, have a conversation with uh, the 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 higher impact sports that existed. Um, so she would go do that and she would talk to us about how some of the recruitment efforts, while a little bit easier over in Australia because it's more of a, a known sport, obviously, <laughs> she, and people grow up with it, um, she kind of went through how they recruit for their own local clubs, you know, to bring people over. And we utilized some of that, but we really used her as um, a resource to just go onto campuses and go into uh, just gyms and just start conversations with people and have her really be able to explain the sport to it. So it was good. Fantastic to hear. Now, as you alluded to uh, earlier, you played with the, a, a number of teams around the area. You said New York, uh, Columbus, Baltimore, Washington. Uh, there's Montreal up north, etc. Um, over the past couple of nationals, you had a few different combinations that you've teamed up with uh, to, to play in Division Two. Um, how difficult is that uh, as a side when you arrive at the nationals and, oh, we've got to know a bunch of new people and put a team together and try and win? <laughs> it's uh, it's challenging, and uh, unfortunately, here in the in the states, sometimes as you develop clubs, you you don't have the numbers to field a full eighteen on eighteen. So obviously, the USAFL and the Women's Association um, created this other division where you can combine teams. So some of the smaller teams um, that consistently have to uh, combine with teams similar to like Baltimore and Boston. Um, and even Philadelphia, they get very used to adapting uh, to new players. So they learn to pick up on skill levels and play uh, styles a lot quicker than some of the more um, established teams that have a full a full squad or close to a full squad where they're not as used to it. So for us, it was difficult, but it wasn't something we were unu- un- not, um, it wasn't unheard of for us. So it, it, you have to wrap your head around it a little bit more to understand that there is going to be that extra element of people that you don't really know how they play, but you have to learn how to adjust very quickly. Well, they did okay in the uh, last tournament, uh, finishing runners-up in the end with uh, Montreal yeah. uh, against uh, against the team from Portland. Yes, it was great. Oh, it was it, that was a great tournament, and it was a hard fought. Uh, game and it was just one of those that was heartbreaking on our end but at the same point we we really gave it our all and Montreal was phenomenal um, with us and we've played with Montreal before so we get to it wasn't an unheard of matchup so we had already gone in knowing their style and they went in knowing our style so it was it was a good matchup we felt. And down to that as well, we should mention that uh, we've already spoken to here on the podcast, Valerie Moreau, who, of course, uh, from Montreal, who played uh, in your team at the Nationals. Yes, she was amazing. She She's such a talent, um, and I was never more proud to have her on my team as well as to play next to her and just to watch her skill level. She was, she was a phenom on the field uh, that entire tournament. Now, just before we let you go, Lisa, of course, if anyone listening knows an Aussie up around the Boston area or an American that's interested in trying Aussie rules football, um, how can they get in contact with you and uh, start training and playing with the Boston Demons? Um, so they can easily go onto our website, uh, our Facebook page, uh, which uh, is the Boston Demons, and they can go in um, and just either message us. We also have um, an Australian rules uh, meetup page, as well as uh, we have an Instagram account that they can reach out to us. So there's multiple different avenues, and if they go onto our website, they can uh, just email us as well from there. So we are eager to have anyone and everyone come try out and have a kick, and we promise <laughs> we won't try and break your fingers on the first practice. <laughs> Lisa, thank you very much for your time, and if you've got a friend that's in the Massachusetts area of the United States, Tell them to look up the Boston Lady Demons. They've got some presence on the web by just searching for bostondemons.tmap.com or you can look on Meetup and just search for Boston Lady Demons. You'll be able to find that side and uh, pull on the red and blue and uh, play with them throughout the Eastern Regional Tournament, their Metro footy, and, of course, uh, when they go down to San Diego for the USAFL Nationals in October. 
Two NAB Rising Star nominations were announced at the end of round seven. This time around, they were Melbourne's Deanna Berry and the GWS Giants' Nicola Barr. And Nicola spoke to Giants TV about receiving the award, what her season's been like, particularly transitioning from the midfield to being a running half back, and uh, what lies ahead post-AFLW season. Here's Nicola. It's really nice to know that your hard work pays off, and I certainly, I'm very lucky that I'm a te- in a team that's really helped me develop over these last few weeks. I couldn't have done it out with, without the girls, and there's some really good experience in our team with um, the likes of Jess Dalpos and Emma Swanson, and yeah, and the coaches have been fantastic. Gone so quickly, I'm, I'm very sad it's all over now. Um, but yeah, it does feel really good and I, I think I've worked, t- taken my time to work into the competition, but yeah, it's really nice to be able to finish on a good note. The coaches basically said to me that they wanted to have a little bit more of an attack, I guess, out of the defensive line. And I, you know, I, I love that role. And I think dropping back there from the midfield has actually really suited me. And I, I haven't, I guess I didn't really think about playing that position before, but yeah, I love it now. So hopefully I'll get to stay there and who knows what will happen in the future. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge because we, we have been in this elite environment for a while now and um, it will be a big change. But I think all the girls, you know, we're, we're going to stay in contact and hopefully, hopefully we'll continue to catch up and yeah, not lose contact with each other. And we'll, I'm, I'm sure that we'll be, we'll continue to be working hard during um, our off season, I guess, but also club club footy season so yeah I've no doubt we'll come back bigger and better. Nicola Barr there talking to Giants TV. Well it's time to look back at what was the 2017 AFL women's season because six clubs have bitten the dust and there's just two remaining the Brisbane Lions and the Adelaide Crows to face off at Metricon Stadium Saturday March 25th in the inaugural AFL women's grand final and that's why we're going to dissect it all with girlsplayfooty.com radio caller in Matthew Cox. Coxie thanks for joining us how are you? Good Pete good to chat with you once again bit hard to believe that it's been nearly eight weeks since we last spoke previewing the season it's coming to a close which is a bit sad and the man with the most accurate guess because uh, on our episode leading into round one you did mention the magic words that you think there'll be around 20,000 at uh, Icon Park for the opening game and you were just about on the money with 24 and a half thousand yeah didn't didn't uh, didn't want to boast too much but I was going to mention that I was nearest the pin so I'm just waiting for uh, the prize that we discussed off where to uh, appear in the letterbox in the coming weeks. Yes that's a pat on the back well done for yeah, earning yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well believe it or not we're now here at uh, grand final time but just before we have a look at the preview and uh, and all the issues that have been surrounding the grand final just a quick run through of the ladder um I, I think everyone predicted for GWS to be at the bottom of the ladder. I guess kudos to them that they did get a win and a draw along the road. Yeah, yeah, and I think they probably performed above expectations based on that. I don't think many people gave them the hope of winning one game, let alone the results that they got. So good to see that they were able to to build some confidence throughout the, the season as it progressed and it gives them a bit of a springboard hanging to next year and of course they beat one of the sides that was in contention for the grand final last weekend in uh, Melbourne. They defeated Melbourne a couple of weeks ago but um, yeah, Melbourne were in contention on the for the grand final on the weekend and um, they were able to knock them off, albeit in a drizzly wet conditions uh, up in Sydney but uh, they're able to manage that so that's something that they can put in their uh, hat and take away from the season. Uh, they happen to uh, draw as well with Fremantle who finished seventh only ahead of GWS on percentage and the the bookies must be laughing all the way to the bank they had uh, Frio as one of the joint favourites and uh, what, what a shocker of a season they had. Yeah, and disappointing too because we know how good the talent is in Western Australia a couple of years ago pushing Victoria uh, all the way and and getting the win. Um, But as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the the talent had really been ripped away from Western Australia. You had players that went to Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia and, you know, they weren't the, the, the cream of the crop, so to speak. They still did um, as good as they could but you're right I think uh, with with the expectation on them coming into the year that they were going to be there or thereabouts it was a disappointing season for them. 
Well, I made the comment, or should I say the tweet at the time a few weeks ago, no Brennan, no Bulldogs. It's rather cruel, but also rather true. They only finished with two wins for the year, beating the uh, eighth and seventh team respectively. And uh, they must be scratching their heads about what's gone wrong. I mean, yes, they only had that uh, when they had the win in round one. They had Katie Brennan, and since they lost her, they seem to have lost structure in their forward line and ability to kick goals, and they couldn't really figure it out until the final round. No, no, and it, it's a shame because after watching that round one game, I thought, oh, geez, they're, they're actually a side that looks like they've gelled together well. They look like they, you know, they look like they could be unstoppable. This was obviously only after one game, but something to me just suggested that they were going to be one of the ones to beat but then they just fell off the perch and as you said the injury to Brennan's obviously the major concern for them in their forward line structure but the fact that you had the likes of Carney who racked up the most possessions throughout the season um, sorry most game day possessions throughout the season with uh, I think it was 30 a couple of weeks ago and Blackburn um you know, the, the likes of those players in there, you'd think they'd be able to add some goal-scoring power, but they, they just couldn't get on the board. And also add to the fact, I think there was a, a slight uh, uh, injury niggle for Jamie Lambert. I think it might have been a hip problem uh, that uh, prevented her playing, I think, a game or two, and uh, it took her a while to get going into things. And Astor O'Connor missed the last couple of games as well with injury. Luck didn't fall their way, and I think the depth of their list was tested and it just didn't come up to scratch. No, which which is really disappointing. And given that the Western Bulldogs were one of the pioneering teams being a part of the exhibition games for so long, I think everyone was sort of, well, most Victorians would have been willing them on to, to see if they could have get, get all three uh, Premiership Cups, the VFL, the AFL and the AFLW. But uh, that obviously hasn't, uh, hasn't occurred. And I think they'll be looking to reset and, and as you say, trying to identify some talent that could be that buffer if they do get hit with injuries again next season. Also, if you look at the Collingwood Magpies, uh, finish about fifth on the table, um, Collingwood, you have to scratch your head there as well because obviously they had Mo Hope. There was speculation that maybe her knee was troubling her and obviously she was getting double and triple teamed at the time. She just never got a break this season and just couldn't have the impact, I think, that many expected for her. But uh, importantly, I mean, Emma King dominated the Rucks, averaging 28.4 hitouts per game. You had, I think, at the top three for rebound 50s, uh, Meg Hutch. Um, you know, they've got some quality players there, but it took them about, what, four weeks to finally click into gear, and by then it was too little too late. Yeah, they really left their, their run late, especially early days. I mean, we remarked prior to the start of the season that their spine was the best in the competition. Mo Hope up forward, Emma King, Meg Hutchins, those three players you'd think would straighten them up, but they just looked all at sea for the first three or four rounds. As you say, it took them a good month to to find form and and to get going and to to leave as late as they did. Obviously, that's where they they finished up on on the ladder with uh, just for the season but um, yeah one of the disappointments for me in 2017 I thought they really would have been up there but for some reason they just couldn't bring it all together in those early rounds Another team that, again, will be uh, wondering what the heck happened to their season was Carlton, who, of course, uh, got off to a flying start, um, taking care of the likes of Collingwood uh, in Game 1. Then the GWS Giants had that close loss against Adelaide, and then the wheels fell off the wagon when they looked like uh, a potential team of not only getting into the grand final, but winning the premiership. That was everyone's call from Round 1. And then, yep, that just, uh, well, you had Brie Davey miss out on the game, and uh, everything else just went pear-shaped. Yeah, another one where, as you, as you say, they, they had the confidence, they were up and about, and then all of a sudden, a couple of minor things changed the rhythm, and it, uh, you know, it all falls apart. Again, after round one, you thought, oh, geez, they, they are going to be up there. Well, I was certainly sitting back thinking, okay, this we're shaping up for a Bulldogs Carlton grand final, but it just it just didn't go the way that they wanted to. And I think that the other thing with Carlton was that they had. Um, you know, bit, bits and pieces. It, it never looked a, a consistent side uh, in the middle of the, the season, uh, and they just struggled to, to get going. Um, but at the end of the day, they were the only ones that uh, 
that stopped Brisbane from getting an unblemished record throughout the season, pushing them to a draw on the weekend. So I suppose we've got to give them credit for that. One interesting little quirky fact is that out of all three Carlton losses, uh, they were wearing the baby blue jumper. <laughs> that is an interesting one. Does that mean the away strip's going to get dumped for next season? <laughs> I think it's a cursed jumper. They've never won a, for, a game for premiership points wearing that jumper. So uh, if I was the uh, uh, Carlton stewards or whoever's looking after the locker room there, uh, I'd just throw them into the incinerator. <laughs> Bring back the white. Did Carlton use the yellow one a couple of years ago too? Yeah, they might have to go the white or the yellow or something like that. But uh, <laughs> but don't go the baby blue. Um, Melbourne uh, again, like you said, one of those teams where they'll be looking back, ruining that game against GWS, where I think they had five or six shots on goal in the final quarter and couldn't put one through, and all they needed was a goal to uh, win the game. And it turns out that was the thing that essentially cost them for making the uh, grand final, where no doubt, considering how they demolished Fremantle, they were coming and they just had finally hit red-hot form. Yeah, yeah, they, they were up and about. Mind you, I think Brisbane um, would have been a little more comfortable if Melbourne had made the grand final. I think uh, I think Brisbane would think they they've would have had them covered. But, um, but yeah, for, for the Demons... Under the radar, I thought coming into the season we hadn't heard much about them. They were just going along. They were just ticking the boxes. And again, throughout the season, they seemed to, to be doing that, um, just just doing what needed to be done to get themselves into a good position come the final rounds. The, the hiccup against GWS, as you say, cost them dearly. The fact that they won against Adelaide up in Darwin, I, I think, was very impressive. It obviously kept the competition alive too, but... So close, yet so far for, for the Demons in 2017. Um, probably give them a bit of motivation to go one step better next year. So the grand final, 1pm local time, 2pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings time, Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. Make sure your GPS is set to the right location because it certainly isn't at the Gabba. The Adelaide Crows and the Brisbane Lions. If we have a look at the challenges uh, for the Crows... Um, when they looked like they were going to get the wobbles against the Pies, they turned on a final quarter blitz last week. And boy, Aaron Phillips and Sarah Perkins getting on the scoreboard. I think Perkins with four just kind of made everyone go, OK, they've just flicked the switch just when it's uh, business time. Yeah, just just when it looked like they were just cruising into that uh, second spot. They just gave a subtle hit to Brisbane and say, hey, look, this is what you got coming for you. As you said, four goals to Perkins. She's been unbelievable this season. And Erin Phillips, 22 touches on the weekend against the Pies, three goals as well. It was a was a magnificent effort. And I, I think it just did send a, a little bit of a shock to Brisbane to say, hey, you reckon this is going to be easy? We are going to push you. And Erin Phillips also wrapping up the Lisa Caddo Media MVP as well. Incredible when you consider that she hadn't played football in, what, 15 years since her junior days. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, if if she goes on to, to win the Best and Fairest Award, then that's just, that just caps off a, a magnificent season for her. I think there are a lot of people doubting whether she could have an impact considering that she's been a professional basketballer for so long, but... I think that just goes to show the character of the person. She's a professional athlete. She applied herself to the situation. She trained hard and she's getting the results and and one of the standout, not just for the Adelaide Crows, but for AFL women. And, of course, she could be, uh, I reckon, uh, in a very close race with Daisy Pearce for the uh, AFLW League Best and Ferris next uh, Tuesday at the W Awards. One player, though, for the Crows that I reckon is guaranteed an award, uh, being the NAB Rising star, would be Ebony Marinoff, 19 years old. Get this, 70 tackles for the season, 21 more than her nearest opponent. And to be only 19 years of age, that, that, that is incredible for her to... To be that talented already and being recognised by opposition too, it's it's a fantastic effort. And the Crows have got so many players. The, the one that I think I, I'm really excited to have seen blossom in the, the AFL women's competition is Sarah Perkins. I know everyone's on the bandwagon at the moment, but fair income. The fact that she got overlooked in the draft, she got picked up as a rookie, 
no one really thought that she'd be able to do much. She's become a cult figure, not just for the Crows, but for the AFL women's competition. And I'll tell you what, we've seen her play in the VFLW. She's gone another step, taken it up another gear um, in this competition. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm hoping she comes out and kicks another bag this weekend because it will be well-deserved. And just on a, um, a side little thought, it throws up an interesting thing, obviously, with the trade period that comes up after um, the season where they've got to keep 20 on the list and uh, what they do with their marquee rules because uh, everyone at the moment's on a one-year contract. Will the marquee stay marquees or will they end up being downgraded, dare I say it? And if that happens, will a club elect to downgrade a marquee to try and fit Sarah Perkins in as a marquee, offer a um, offer a, a higher-value contract? Yeah, although... I, I don't know whether she can leave Adelaide now. I, I think she's built that much of a presence over there. And I think, too, the, the fact that she's she's almost repaid the faith in the Crows. I mean, they gave her the opportunity, and she's come out and, and done some fantastic things for them. I just think there's that bit of loyalty that's now built mm. between both her and the club and I don't think she can leave it especially if they went go on and win the grand final mm. I don't think she'd be able to leave and I don't think anything even you know you, you throw money or you throw other opportunities in front of her I just don't think that would be enough to draw her home Stevie Lee Thompson also impressive last week uh, with 12 disposals and Ange Foley another NT player racking up 10 disposals as well you've got to hand it to uh, Beck Goddard the coach uh, who we named as coach in our uh, team of the season on girls play footy because essentially that yes she had two losses for the year but by a total of five points and she's managed to gel together two sides virtually because she's got two thirds of her players in Adelaide one third in Darwin and they only meet on match day and to be able to get them to gel and be such a cohesive unit is impressive yeah the, the hardest job in the competition and and that's why I think they were not rated coming into the season I know I didn't think they'd win more than maybe two or three games if they were lucky coming in and the fact that not only have they been impressive but the fact that they've been consistent and as you say well gelled uh, it's it's hard to believe that they're in two uh, two different states or uh, i just can't get over how cohesive they are as a as a team uh, it's it's fantastic and as you say all credit goes to uh, Beck for, for being able to pull them together because uh, it would have been a, a hard job. She would have had a bit of pressure on her as well because we've all said that uh, the talent pool isn't really there in South Australia or the Northern Territory compared to what it is in Victoria or, or Western Australia. So to be able to do what she's done um, is, is an incredible effort. Having a look at the Brisbane Lions side, uh, one player that um, we didn't get into our 22 for the team of the season, very, very unlucky to miss out, was Emily Bates, who's just week after week racking up possessions. She got another 22 disposals on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, an, in, an incredible effort um, by, by Emily Bates. And one of the ones that's going to be pivotal for the grand final this weekend. She's got to be really effective with her ball use as she has been throughout the season. I noticed that in the uh, the team of the year that you had down uh, Emma Zelke uh, as the captain and I think she's also pivotal coming into to this weekend. I think with the with the little hiccup, I suppose you could call it, on the weekend against on the draw just to refocus them a little bit uh, get their mentality right. I think if if uh, they're down by a couple of points at halftime on the weekend, expect her to pop up again and uh, bring some home truths to, to the group to try and get them fired up. Similar to what she did back in round five, I think it was, when they were playing the Crows. Um, I, th- I think she's, she's vitally important this weekend, the captain. Yeah, very interesting, the, the two finishes for the sides. I mean, for the Crows, them it was flicking the switch in the final quarter, putting the hammer down and uh, winning impressively to almost send a message to Brisbane, where it appears Brisbane's draw, they were well ahead, uh, I think maybe even four goals up during the final quarter, and then took the foot off the gas. It seems their mentality was, we've done what we've needed to do, and we know what we need to um, show. Let's just, you know, let's just conserve because we don't need to do any damage. Well, they gave up. Did they have a twenty-four point lead in that final? Yeah, yeah, they did, and they the took and they took the foot off the gas. Yeah, I can't. 
I don't really understand that. I, I would have thought you're the top side of the competition. You've got a, a four-goal lead. Why not continue going? Obviously, you, you're trying to, to, to win. Everyone knows that. I would have thought that they would have just pushed forward, got the win, got the result, and keep them fired up because now there's the potential for them to enter the grand final thinking, oh, we dropped that last term and Adelaide are coming out with us with basically nothing to lose. We're the ones that finished on top. We've got all the pressure on our shoulders and we didn't play that well in the last quarter. I reckon that could affect the mentality of the Lions coming into this weekend. Indeed, it could, particularly when there was talk around Sabrina Frederick-Traub and Taylor Harris um, uh, having some injury niggles and whether they're going to be rested or not. And Craig Stasevich uh, admitted in an interview where he said they actually considered it for half an hour if they were going to rest some of their star players. Yeah, no, I don't think that would have been the right thing to do either. I, I would have preferred firing on all cylinders. But it is a concern that they're tall timber, Frederick-Traub and, and Harris, because of cast the mind back to the round five clash between Adelaide and Brisbane and Adelaide had 20 more hit outs compared to the Brisbane Lions. Uh, Rhiannon Metcalf, 28 hit outs. Perkins with seven. Uh, Frederick Traw had the most, nine hit outs, which is a bit of concern. They rely a bit on uh, Sabrina Frederick Traub and we know how talented she is, but if she has got that injury concern, can she go into the ruck and, and be effective in the ruck to make to give the Lions uh, the best opportunity to get the ball out of the middle because I think that's where it's going to be won. These two sides, uh, Adelaide are, are the best offensive, Brisbane are the best defensive. Where this game is going to be won is in the middle and one of the pivotal factors of that is the ruck battle. Just having a look at some of the key forwards uh, as well for the Lions. Uh, Kate McCarthy, eight disposals. Jessica Wichner, seven disposals uh, and four tackles. But only the one goal between them. So um, I guess that might be a bit of cause for concern, that particularly between McCarthy and Wichner, in a low-scoring game on a fast track at Metricon, you might be hoping for at least three goals between them, maybe four. Yeah, yeah, you'd be hoping that because they have been pivotal players for the Lions throughout the season, so you'd be hoping to that they'd be able to s- step up or refine the form that they've had throughout the year and and be able to get those goals. But there's one other player that I think could play a, a big role in this game, and we haven't seen her too much throughout the the season. She's only kicked the two goals throughout the home and away season, and that's Caitlin Ashmore. I just feel that. This could be the time where she comes to the forefront. I know she grabbed headlines a couple of weeks ago when she kicked that goal from the boundary, but I just have the feeling that we might see her play some of the form that we've seen in the VFL women's competition, and I think she could be one of the... uh, provide a bit of firepower up forward, I'll put it that way. Well, as I go into the game, an interesting little stat. I think the temperature was like uh, high teens or low 20s when Adelaide won games at home, respectively against the likes of Carlton and uh, and uh, GWS. But uh, they ended up losing games when it was uh, quite warm and humid, such as at Norwood Oval against the Brisbane Lions and against Melbourne up in Darwin. The temperature is uh, anywhere between 22 and 28 degrees, uh, heading for a top of 28. It'll be in the afternoon, so probably humid conditions with a chance of a little bit of rain up there at the Gold Coast. Does the weather play a factor and does that heavily favour the Lions? I think it does. I think Brisbane, they've been training in those conditions all summer. We know humidity up there is atrocious a bit like in Melbourne at the moment but um, it's I, th- I think if if we get the predicted conditions, I think that definitely favours Brisbane. I just think that they're more composed with the footy, so there's less skill errors because they're not trying to move ball as quick. Adelaide are that very rapid, frenetic style of play, and I think if they try and do that and it's a little bit slippery, then there's going to be errors left, right and centre. So I'd certainly think that the weather conditions are going to come into play. Well, Coxie, before I let you go, we've got to get the all-important tip. Saturday, March 25th, Metricon Stadium. Who is the inaugural AFLW Premiers? Well, given, given it is up in those humid conditions, I am going to go with Brisbane. I think they've been the top side all season. I, I am a little 
doubtful that if if Perkins is able to get on top and, and kick a bag that uh, that Adelaide will uh, run away with it. But uh, I just think Brisbane, they've, they're the ones to beat. Um, they have been all season and I think would be well-deserved if they win the Premiership this weekend. Well, Coxie, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we look forward to catching you during the VFL women's season beginning on Saturday, May 6th. Yeah, looking forward to it. The, uh, it's sad that the AFLW is finishing up this weekend, but it means we're only about a month out from the state competition getting back underway. And can't wait to get back to the peanut farm and be shivering cold once again. Ah, yes, the cold old peanut farm in St Kilda. I think when we last called there in July 2016, uh, someone told me my bottom lip was turning blue. That's how freezing cold it was. I think we might bring a heater next time we call there. And for the record, who do I think will win? Because it is being played up in Queensland and probably humid and sticky conditions, I am going with the Brisbane Lions to win the AFL Women's Premiership by two goals. What it's worth, I don't know, because I did tip Collingwood to go undefeated, and, well, that tip didn't end up great, did it? Ah, well, you can only have a go. Anyway, that wraps things up for the podcast. Just a reminder, of course, to check out our website for all the latest stories on AFL women's and women's footy from across the world at girlsplayfooty.com. Our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash girlsplayfooty, twitter.com forward slash Girls Play Footy, and of course, download this podcast anytime, any previous episode by going to iTunes or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy. I'm Peter Holden. It's been great having your company, and I'll speak to you again next week.